Hey, listeners. Welcome back to the Busby Babe podcast. I'm Colin, joined by Nathan and Polly um, in this next episode of the Quarantine Pod. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing pretty swell. Just uh, finished up my first batch of cold brew coffee, so uh, I plan on not going to bed until about 4 a.m., like usual. Nice. Like usual? I think I wake up around 4 a.m. now. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's like we're I'm a, my fiance has to get up early for work, so she wakes up on a normal day before before this coronavirus thing hit. When our gym was open, she'd wake up at ten to five, and basically I I'd be she'd go to the gym, I'd sleep through that. But when she was getting ready for work, I'd basically wake up. So when she goes to bed at ten o'clock, it's like. Yeah, I don't have to be up early, but I know I'm going to be up early anyway, so like 10 o'clock's my bedtime, too. See, it, it's nice being on that schedule. I've gotten completely off of it since working from home. I seem to work until like 7 or 8 at night, and then I'm like, all right, well, that cut into my FIFA time. So then, you know, I'm playing some FIFA, watching a movie, and then all of a sudden, like last night, I was watching The Social Network, and I, credits were on, like, holy crap, it's 2.30 in the morning, and I don't even feel tired. This is a problem. So. I have yep. those moments when I get, like, really into a TV series, like, on Netflix or something. Like, I was watching season three of The Last Kingdom uh, a few days ago, and I'm just like, oh, it's 2.30 in the morning. I need to go to bed. I just, used to uh, be like that, but I don't I don't even get that way anymore. Like, we watch, we'll watch Netflix every night, but it's also, she falls asleep on the couch, so it'll be like, all right, that's enough, because I, I don't want to have to sit there and either rewatch an episode tomorrow or explain <laughs> the entire thing to you. Um right. But like, other than that, I, I don't. I feel like I, I wake up so early and I still don't have enough time in the day. I, I watch TV in the morning. I, I get out of bed and I'm like, all right, 6:30. Like I could watch a, an hour of TV now until 7:30. Then I'll read my book for a bit and like then I'll sit down at my desk and still like I'm I'm out of time. Oh. It's, it's quite it's quite uh busy when you're doing nothing. Yeah, it's crazy how little you get done when you're doing nothing too, like. <laughs> I have an entire day to finish like a grad school paper and I'll still just wake up at 10 because I don't have, I'm not on a schedule. Like I don't have to be somewhere anymore. I don't have to like get ready for things. It's just kind of throwing my schedule off. You know what? I think it's just cause I'm on that damn TikTok now. <laughs> don't tell brent he'll want you to produce some hashtag content uh he he's gonna have to get in line i've already got everybody in the richmond kickers organization going like why don't we have tiktok yet so coming soon richmond kickers tiktok um can't TikTok. i can't wait that's the kind of comment i expect from colin who would like date himself by dropping TikTok. Hey man, I turn 29 <laughs> next month, so I'm definitely uh, the proper age to be making TikToks. Clearly, when when I think of TikToks, I just think of that. Uh, what is is it? Steve Buscemi? That meme? Well, how do you do, fellow kids? Like <laughs> oh, I don't. Yeah. I <laughs> He's got the skateboard that, over his back. That's not for me, and I like, don't even bother. That, that's <laughs> how I feel now in an in administration role in sports, because like our entire workforce in the summer for the season is all interns. And I just feel like the oldest man talking to some of them. Like I used to be up on like current rap music. I don't know it anymore. Like, like you guys, uh, you guys listen to TDE and they're like, how old are you? And I was like, what? That was what I listened to in college. And then I remembered I graduated college seven years ago. Yeah, so. the, the best example now is just 
I mean, pre-coronavirus, just going out at night, like hard pass, hard pass. <laughs> I it was I, probably about a year ago at this point. I was, we were home on Friday night. It was like 10:45 on a Friday night. My fiance, who was my girlfriend at the time, was I, I don't know what was wrong, but like it was 10:45, and I was like, I'm going downstairs to the supermarket across the street. I'm gonna go get us ice cream. We wanted ice cream, and I get in the elevator, and I just hear. I lived in a, like a young building and I heard this loud party and I'm like, wow, they are being really loud. And as the elevator's going down, I just hear it getting louder. And I'm like, it must be like a couple floors down. We finally stop about 10 floors down and, and the doors open and an entire pregame worth of people get into the elevator. And that was where the noise was. And these people are so drunk and like, they're either on their way to a second pregame or they're on their way to the bar and they're just loud, crazy. And it, I'm in there in my sweatpants and a hoodie going to get ice cream. And I just looked at them and I was like, I am so happy to be where I am right now and not be you guys. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe a week and a half, two weeks before everything really got serious here. I had a couple of friends come in from DC and we stayed out until last call. And that was the first time I'd been out all the way to last call until, I don't know, it, it had been at least, half a year if not more and i was so miserable during that isn't last call in dc like two yeah it's two here in virginia and they were like hey let's go get uh let's go get diner food at and it's like 2 15 in the morning i'm just like jesus christ like i, I ended up like falling asleep at the table at three o'clock in the morning i'm, I'm washed it's nothing like i mean it's four o'clock in new york and I don't remember why, but at some point in the last year, I had to stay out till last call. And it was, I was just like, get me out of here. Like, how do I, how do I go on? Like, I basically told like my friends, I was like, yo, like at my bachelor party, like I'm going to be the guy that's like, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's time to call it. Like, we got to go home. I got to get to bed. And it's going to be like 1215. Actually, that would have been the last time I was out that late would have been when I was in Vegas for my cousin's bachelor party. And uh, I don't know how I survived that. That was my one cousin wanted to be out until five o'clock in the morning playing craps. And I was like, uh, guys, with this time change, like I'm going to bed at 11. <laughs> I can't Is there this. even a last call in Vegas? No. Oh, I'm uh, I'm a little That's... bit different because last call here is usually uh, 10 p.m. or midnight. What? Yeah. That's like London. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most most places start closing down around midnight. That's yeah. amazing. What a great excuse to get the hell out. That's what threw me off when I was in Berlin and Munich. I was like, wait, the bar's shutting down right now? It's only uh, 11.45. And they're like, yeah, you're you're done. And I was like, what the fuck? That's great. The, the good thing about New York, though, is that basically you can open whenever. Uh, you have to shut at 4, and I think you have to be closed for a certain number of hours. I think I, I don't know what the law is because when I go to the bar at 7:30 in the morning, they are open and they are serving. But there have been times where I've walked in like they like make the bar very much look like they're closed. And like you have to go to the smaller side, not the side that we're typically on. And I asked somebody once and they're like, oh, uh, yeah, because there's a police precinct a block away. And Roma started like Roma's game kicked off at 630 in the morning. And like you have. To, so basically they had to pretend they were closed. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never catch us, them coppers. Right. So um, I guess transitioning to the football talk. It's not the right transition for this podcast. Anyways. <laughs> there we go. 
So, um, news breaking today that Manchester United have signed um, Mark Gerardo from Barcelona, uh, their youth academy. They are expected to pay around $2 million. And uh, he is 16 years old. He is just now eligible for a professional contract. And, uh, yeah, we sniped him from Barcelona. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, guys? Um, I thought that was an interesting pickup. Uh, I'm looking at the ESPN transfer story that they came out with, it looked like Barcelona was offering a three-year deal. Um, so they had every intention on trying to keep him. Uh, he was a prospect for him. Um, I mean, he's a right back. So, And we've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka. We've got... Ethan Laird, who I think a lot of people are high on, I haven't really gotten to watch him play that much. Um, but at the end of the day, like I think it seems nice that we have more depth. Um, also, he's the first Barcelona Academy grad to get since uh, Gerard Piquet. So let's hope he turns out to be as good as Piquet. And, and, uh, and that we keep them. This time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, as we saw, Manchester United is an asshole, according to Angel Di Maria's wife. So that probably wants to go back to Barcelona as quickly as possible. Right. Yeah. I, do, I think it's worth mentioning too that at 16, your position isn't always nailed down, even though he is listed as a right back. Right. They can move him around. It's also, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's he's obviously highly valued if it costs one and a half million euros. Although I think wasn't that just like the compensation fee, like a set fee for the fact that he left. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So that just that's that's just a fee that's gone up in past few years i guess because when i was researching it earlier this morning we hadn't other than hannibal medre we haven't really paid more than a million for anybody at the academy level but it's good to just stockpile the academy with talent create competition amongst people that are that you're signing as well as the people the kids that are coming up um it does you know maybe create depth at the u23 or the u18 level so that you can promote someone like Ethan Laird, uh, because if you plan on promoting him, you need someone to play in those teams. Um, and just, and give you depth, you know, at, if in five years he's ready for the first team and he's, and he's good. And we still have Juan Bissaka who's ticking along at the age of 27. That's a great problem to have. Uh, it's just like everybody else. You stockpile these kids and you can end up selling them. One of the things that, um, tied us up in the last few summers has been the FFP laws. And we, if you just look at just the transfer sales, which I know FFP does more than that, but remember your wages and your, your coach's wages are factored into that too. And we spent so much money on transfers that not even counting Sanchez and Ibrahimovic who their wages weighed us down and we brought no money in. And the only comparable teams were, Manchester City, who were breaking laws, as we know, allegedly, I guess. No, they were found guilty. They're just appealing. So they were breaking laws. And Chelsea. But Chelsea brought in so much money from selling people players out of their academy. So it's an additional – if you can get your academy to that level, it's an additional revenue source. Yep. And it's also – one of the things that Jose Mourinho was sort of right about was – the lack of quality being produced from the United Academy. And maybe that was a defense of himself for not playing younger players, uh, which he is notorious for doing. But from the class of 2011 and really Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer's departure from the youth Academy up through 
the last few years, there really hasn't been a whole lot of talent coming through that we've seen. I think under Sir Alex Ferguson, we got used to not necessarily them turning into stars, but at least becoming squad players uh, like Darren Fletcher or Danny Welbeck. Yeah, that's a, now it seems like there's more of a focus on that sort of area of development. That's a that's a great point. It was actually I think it was one of the first articles for the Busby Bib I ever wrote about the middle of this decade. We sort of neglected the academy and and we're we weren't paying for it then. We're paying for it now. You know, if you neglect mm-hmm. if you neglect going out there 16, 17 year old talent, it's not going to hurt you this year. The same way that a signing like what we made today isn't going to help us this year. It's going to hurt you a few years down the line. And there really is no, like, you look at it and everybody's excited about Gomez and Chong and Garner and Greenwood. Uh, Greenwood's the youngest of them at, at 18. Now, these guys at the beginning of the season were, were 19. Garner was 17. And the question I asked was, are they get that good or are they the best that we have? Because mm-hmm. we don't have anybody older than them. And when we needed players this year, you look at – the games against Sheffield and, and Aston Villa when we had to start Andreas Pereira in midfield, we didn't have a 20, 21-year-old academy kid to turn to. There's an entire missing generation there, and, and people will say, yeah, but we have Rashford and McTominay and Axel Tunzebi, and it's like, yeah, cool, we do. That's three players, but those three players all made the jump to the first team three years ago or four years ago. There is nobody even that's, you know, on the periphery that who might not pan out, but at least he can come in and, and play a role. It's literally nobody until you get to the Garner and the Gomez's and they're just not playing because they're not big enough to play yet. And I think you also see a pretty significant gap in quality between academy graduates coming in. I mean, Rashford obviously is one of our better players now arguably our best attacking player. And then Mason Greenwood looks like he's maybe at that sort of level too, but we haven't really seen a large enough sample size from him to say that. But the rest of them, I mean, Gomez and Chong have been breaking into the side for two years now and they haven't made an impact at all yet. Right. Rashford turned out to be a superstar, which is great. And even your best, you know, we're spoiled with the class of 92 and Barcelona has, you know, their Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets class which is really the extreme exception. You don't churn out multiple world-class players. You are lucky when you get a superstar once in a blue moon, um, and that's Rashford, and it, and it could be Greenwood, which would be phenomenal luck if we get two. But, you know, we should have more Scott McTominays and more Jesse Lingards. And people will probably kill me right now because Lingard has been terrible this year. But if you think about what Lingard was – last year or the year before that, you know, we should have more players of that quality that are coming out of the academy every two or three years. And we just didn't for a long time. You know, we had Wingard and McTominay, and that was it. There should be more of them every single year. Right. Yeah, and the other thing I'm curious um, to find out about Mark Gerardo, or Gerardo too, is like I've been searching over on the Googles and I cannot f- find out like how large he is, you know, he looks um, so big. He looks so old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, so, so like what I, what I'm curious about is, you know, at 16 years old, there's always that opportunity for him to uh, grow into himself even more. I mean, just based on all the other sports that we like here in America, you see these 16 year old kids hit growth spurts when they're like 18, 19. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy crap. So 
he might be also the opposite where you he could have hit his growth spurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I I wonder what he's going to turn into. I I think uh, the best part about this news is is ex- it's exciting because it shows that once again we're showing that emphasis towards the future. Um, you know, we've been trying to chase what Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, did uh, for the last seven years now, and we're finally kind of implementing something that you know. Like Liverpool has been doing for the last couple of years, they they decided when they brought in Klopp, this is going to be the system that we put into place, and they're starting to you know get the fruits of their labor this year. So hopefully we're you know planting seeds right now, because uh, like I said, it, he plays a position that we've got Aaron Wan-Bissaka, we got Ethan Laird, but God forbid maybe he just turns out to be better than Ethan Laird, and then it's like, well that was a good good pickup, or we sell him like Paulie was saying. Like I don't sure. think that. In any way, this is bad news. Someone might be like, well, I want the Jaden Sancho transfer right now, but I think this is almost as important in a way. And as Colin said, 16 years old, he could be moved around. You know, maybe he ends up being a bit a, a bit more of a stiff and they move him to center back. Maybe he's pretty flexible. You can move him to left back or, poss- or you know, maybe he's very good with the ball at his feet. And he moves to central midfield. Coming out of the Barcelona system, you have to think he'd be good with the ball at his feet. That seems that's a skill that they very much value mm-hmm. over there. Uh, so, yeah, there's plenty of options for him. And, and of course, he's also 16. Maybe he doesn't take to Manchester well and he turns out to be a bust. You never know at 16. Uh, it's, it's just nice if, if everybody's rating the kids. So I, we're, we're stockpiling talent to create competition, bring in another style, you know, more the continental style so that your teenagers that are from Manchester and are in the Academy, they see that and they get acclimated to that and, and develop that area of their game and just create competition all throughout the team or the club. Yeah. And maybe, um, you know, he turns out to be the wide right utility player that people think Diogo Dallo is somehow. I was going to make that joke. Damn you. <laughs> it's, I just I still cannot fathom it how much how much love Diogo Dallo gets on on Twitter. Every time I watch him play and I've been watching way too many games from last season in the past week. And I'm just like, dude, this guy is is not good. Now, admittedly, I did watch like his worst games uh, and uh, I watched the Everton debacle recently and he was so bad in that game and people were still like, oh, you know, we're not giving him a chance and he's good offensively and it's like, I think he was good offensively because when we put him on the right wing, he provided more wing play than Lingard does from the right wing and he was a better winger than Valencia or Young. And I was like, and that's why we got excited about him. But like, that doesn't mean he's good. And right now, the way like you look at it right now, and and uh, I understand why Solskjaer was basically ready to be like, we need a new right back. That's a priority last year when, mm-hmm. you know, to give up on a 20 year old right back after a year. And yet he still knew like, no, we're going to get another right back in. That's the same <laughs> age because this guy is basically is I, I don't want to say hopeless, but he's not the answer. Um, and he's, the, he's not, he's the backup quarterback. That's why he gets all the love on Twitter. Yeah. Cause he yeah. doesn't, he goes long enough without playing that. You're like, 
Should really give this Dallow kid a shot here. Because um, Wan Bissaka be struggles offensively, and it's like, and people started saying that in January, and I'm like, this is when I was like, hey, Wan Bissaka has turned a corner and he's playing much better. But yeah, sure, you tell me that, tell me that the load's better than him when just watch him play compared to Young and Valencia and Lingard, and you'll be like, yeah, the load's good. Watch him play compared to Wan Bissaka and Daniel James, and you're like. Uh, yeah, you're right. I see your point. Like, just at this point now, he's not good enough defensively to play right back in our system, and he's nowhere near good enough offensively to play as a winger. I think, too, that this is the first season that there has been actual focus on Aaron Wambasaka's offensive play, and he's actually come along as the season progressed. I mean, it's definitely not one of his strengths by any means, but he's that good of a defender that it makes up for it. Yeah, I mean, him coming from the Crystal Palace system, there are some, you know, cobwebs that he's got to get knocked out of his system. And I think him nice working. Reference. Yeah, see, um, I can do puns. Um, the him working with Ali, I think, has been really, really important. And, it, you know, much love to my man, my son, Daniel James. But I mean, he's been playing. He played way too much this season. Like he needed to be more of a super sub. There needed to be someone already like entrenched in that position and you know do we even hear a peep about Aaron Juan Basaka's you know lack of offensive ability of next year if like Jaden Sancho's in front of him on the right wing or something because he doesn't have yeah. to pick up so much on the on the wing then and there's there's no doubt that Juan Basaka got off to a very slow start offensively and, and I have tried to highlight it this uh, over the time this year when Daniel James was on the right side those two guys they just didn't look right you know they didn't really know spacing and everything Wambasaka would try to overlap and, and James would just stand there. And it was like, oh, okay, so now one guy can mark both of you. Or, you know, he wouldn't play the ball the right way. And then it was when when Solskjaer moved, put some left footers out there, whether it be Mata or Greenwood on that right wing so that they can cut inside. All of a sudden, Wambasaka started playing fantastically. And after months of work, you know, December and January, he was better then he set up more chances than Trent Alexander-Arnold did. Yeah, and he was, was like, putting some really dangerous crosses. Yeah, you're 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 saying, oh, he's terrible, and you know he only has one assist, and it's like, yeah, he put three per he put three balls on a plate for United in the first half against Burnley, and Juan Mata kicked it into himself. Martial scuffed it wide. That's not Juan Bissaka's fault. Um, right. And then you know they had the the Watford game where the, that was kind of the plan to do that again. And Wambasaka would get forward. Greenwood would get, um, would get central and it just didn't work because everybody kind of just got central too soon. And so Solskjaer at halftime said, guys, stay wide, like what wingers stay wide. Wambasaka didn't venture forward anymore. Uh, but that was just the plan because when Greenwood stayed wide and it gave Bruno all this room in the middle of the field to operate and he picked them apart. So you didn't need Juan Basaka to, to get forward. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I, I, I just can't knock Juan Basaka that much on his offensive ability because, you know, go look in his pocket and you'll find Raheem Sterling. Like he has erased people out of games with his defensive abilities. And, you know, sometimes you just got to pay that price. Like, do you want the, an opposing threat just completely out of the game? You got to keep Juan Basaka in because he's that good defensively. Especially in this day and age where a lot of your wide attacking talent is found on the left wing. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, next topic is not Manchester United related, but uh, live sports is coming back uh, 
a weekend or no a week from this Saturday in the German Bundesliga. And uh, yeah, are you guys excited about that? Have you followed like Bundesliga during the regular season much, or are you kind of like me where you're more of just a casual watcher? I'm I'm probably in between. I like to watch the Bundesliga a lot. It's just that. Every game I seem to want to watch is always at the same time that I feel like an important Premier League game is on. And, you know, with United being the team that I support the most, it's like it, I should probably pay a little bit more attention to what's going on in the league they play in. But um, as the the only game I've ever been to in Europe was a Bundesliga game, like I've always had a lot of love in my heart for that league and the, the German football experience. So I'm pretty pumped about it. And the fact that I'll be able to devote no, no disrespect to the Korean league that's also coming back, but I can probably devote all my focus to the German Bundesliga, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch it if Fox fixes their broadcast because they've been terrible with it. The biggest problem with the Bundesliga is Fox and the fact that none of their games are ever seem to be on TV. They get preempted for college football. They get preempted for college basketball. They get preempted for NASCAR pre-races, mm-hmm. and, and there's no viable option to watch it online without paying an arm and a leg, um, and I'm I actually do watch a lot of Bundesliga, I would say. I I really, I started following Dortmund years ago before it was cool. Um, and I didn't even, yeah, I, no, I started it was, following it was, Dortmund when it was cool, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I, it was, it, it, we're doing origin stories. I, the year after David Moyes, uh, or probably Ferguson's last year and and the the David Moyes year. Once United, I had other things going on, but like once United got eliminated from the Champions League, I found that I wasn't paying attention to it, and I was like, "What's going?" Like I remember the Bayern uh, and Dortmund final, and when mm-hmm. they were in the final, I was like, "Who are, who are Borussia Dortmund?" And I didn't even know they had like beaten Real Madrid. I was just that checked out, apparently. So the the year after David Moyes, when I was like, well, if United aren't in Europe, I was like, I need a team to follow. Um, I needed a team to follow so that I pay attention to the Champions League because apparently that's what it's going to take for me. And I was like, well, who could it be? It's obviously not going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona or, you know, and I wasn't going to pick like some small team that were going to get eliminated right away. So I looked into it and I was like, all right, well, this German team is pretty good, and they've never played United, so I guess it's not a conflict of interest here. And then I started watching videos of them, and I was like, oh, they're fun to watch. So I didn't even know who Jurgen Klopp was. And then, of course, that was the year where they started out and were, like, at, in 17th place at the winter break. Yeah. But I was they like – They won the league twice. It was 2011, 2012, I yeah. think, was the last time they won the league. But uh, I started, I guess – made them my German team because of that Real Madrid game when Robert Lewandowski scored four goals. Um, I think that was the moment I, I, I went, I went and bought one of those. I, Oh, and Shinji Kagawa had just gone over there. So I was like, Oh, that's perfect. And I went and bought a Shinji Kagawa Dortmund Jersey for 15 bucks. Cause they come from China. Um, and then I was, and that was back before the Bundesliga was on TV. So I was like, perfect. I won't even like watch it on, on weekends. I'll just watch it in the Champions League. And eventually I found myself like looking for Dortmund streams. And since the Bundesliga has, has come to America, I try to watch Dortmund whenever they're not playing at the same time as United. The Bundesliga is just fun, man. They just, everybody scores. They don't really, they don't really care to play defense. Yeah, and that shows up in Europe, too. <laughs> yeah. The, the best one I, I have is 
a couple years ago because they do the final two match days. Everybody kicks off at the same time. And it was the last match day. And one of Fox's channels basically had a red zone thing where they were jumping oh, wow. the game for all the goals. And it was the year Philip Lom had retired or was playing his last game and maybe somebody else. So Byron had some ceremony at halftime. So, you know, every game kicks off at the same time. They all in Germany, they're basically very diligent about injury time. It's you basically get one, one minute or two, no more than that. So basically every game is kicking off at the say at the second half is all kicking off within a minute, a minute and a half of each other, except for the Bayern match because of this ceremony, it kicked off maybe three minutes later. And in the last 10 minutes of this red zone thing, it was just nuts. They were just bouncing from game to game. They were like, we're in stoppage time here. And there was a goal. And then they went somewhere else to another game in stoppage time and another goal. And they went to another game in stoppage time equalizer. And finally these games are ending. And then they were like, Oh, and now we're going to Munich and like Byron scored and they're like, all right. And then they went and the final game finally ended. And then after that, Byron scored again. I was like, there's just, there, there was just no stopping the goals here. And I was like, this is great. And the, I think maybe that year was when Eintracht Frankfurt won like a final get like their final game to avoid relegation. And like, you know, this, the fans stormed the pitch. And I was just like, there is no party that is as good as the, we are just not bad enough that they didn't kick us out of the league party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, oh. I was going to say, I think the style of football is a little bit different than the Premier League, too. That there's so much focus on attacking, and I feel like maybe sort of akin to Italy, there is still that sort of number nine designated striker position that you don't necessarily see in the Premier League as much anymore. I feel like you have to be more dynamic as an attacker than to just be a really good target man goal scorer. But... I mean, I mean, not to take anything away. I mean, Robert Lewandowski is maybe the best striker in the world, or best goal scorer in the world, in other than Messi and Ronaldo. Ability, yeah, he's probably yeah. the best. Uh, Timo Werner's right up there with him, and Erling Holland might be might be joining him right. uh, sooner rather than later. It's it's also a, a league that skews younger. Uh, first of all, the fact that they got that the that the league and the and the FA or the DFB got in were able to get on the same page right away when Germany had a disaster world cup. And they're like, look, this is how we're going to do it now. And it's going to help the national team and it's going to help the league. And it, it worked. They won a world cup, you know, uh, might've been after the euros. So they won a world. Yeah, it was after the Euros. They won a world cup 10 years later. Um, and it's, it's a league that skews younger mainly because financially none of them can compete with Bayern Munich. And every time a, an up and coming player, comes around Byron just snatches them up so they teams just have to be ready to replace all their guys and when it's time to sell them they don't stand in their way and it's it's really like if if you like college sports it 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 really works well because it's you know it's a level up from college because the players are still 22 23 24 but like you don't get much older than that in the Bundesliga yeah I was almost going to make that comparison too where the Bundesliga almost feels like college football and maybe like the Premier League or some of the other big five leagues or, you know, like the NFL, where I think a lot of the innovation that you're starting to creep into the other leagues all seem to be coming from the Bundesliga. I mean, look, at obviously Jurgen Klopp's one of the most influential managers in the world, and he came from 
Germany. You had Pep Guardiola, who um, did everything that he did with Bayern Munich. I mean, I, I know he started that system back in Barcelona, but still, like, he transported that to Germany, and they, yeah, they won the Champions League in 2013. Um, so, although that was Jopenkes. That was yeah, that was, that was free Pep. Oh, I actually, I consider Pep a failure at Bayern because... Because he never won the Champions League. He never won the Champions League. I'm like, what else yeah. did you have to do? Like, at yeah. Bayern, they they sleep through the season, and, and that's the one knock against the Bundesliga. It's a close title race this year, but Bayern are going to run away with it. It was a close title race last year, um, but... Really, Dortmund not... should have run away with it last year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Dortmund shoot themselves in the foot because they really don't defend. Um, yeah. Which is why they, you know, Erling Haaland means that they could score with anybody, but like Dortmund can lose a game six five with with ease. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, that's the one problem is is eight in a row. At a certain point, it's like okay, like what's where's the accomplishment here when no one can win it? Yeah, Dortmund actually they're in second place right now. They have a lower goal difference than Leipzig, who are currently below them, and they have they've conceded 33 goals, which is the most of the top five. Yeah, they the the fun part about Dortmund is if they Big 12 go, football. Yeah, the fun part about <laughs> Dortmund is if they Air go raid, three baby. nil up, like the, if they go three nil up, the game's not over, and if they go three nil down, the game's not over, and if they go three nil up and like concede three goals and you think, wow, that's it. Like all the momentum is with the opposing team. They may just, they like they could within two minutes of going from three, like, you know, three now, now it's three, three. And two minutes later, they go back up four, three, like, you know, they, it's just goal fest whenever they're playing. Yeah. And Leipzig's really... been another fun team to watch because of like Julian Nagelsmann. Um, who, if I was still writing that betting favorites uh, article for, who's going to be the next manager of Manchester United. He'd probably be like up on the list for that. Um, <laughs> I would just hope he's like on our radar. My, my, my buddy Jalen is, this is, this is his big conspiracy theory. Well, maybe not a conspiracy theory, but he is, he is all in on Ollie moving into director of football in the next couple of years. And Nagelsmann comes in and takes over. Yeah. I've, I've heard many people uh, suggesting that. And, you tell me how Ollie's going to give up his his job and go yeah. to the director of football. Also, he'll do that, but he won't give up his his job. Like the way that at the end yeah. of Alex Ferguson's career, he was mainly the director of football who went into the dugout on Saturday and picked the team and made the substitution. Yeah, he didn't he didn't do any like day to day. He was not the manager of the team. You know, during the week he was the director of football and sat in his office and then thought about who am I going to pick for, for the game next week. And, and that was that. So I'll maybe come that and leave things up to his coach, which he already does. Uh, Kieran McKenna and Michael Carrick basically run the training sessions. Phelan has more of a, an, an office role and day to day. Solskjaer isn't as involved in the team. So it's really the question that I have will be in, in five years is, is how will he, if he's, if he's still here and being successful in five years, will he be able to restructure, you know, how loyal will he be to Carrick and McKenna? And will he be able to get rid of guys and restructure his backroom staff? Because that was, you know, that's where Pochettino lost Tottenham is same message every day or every year. It's the same message versus Ferguson who went, well, I can't get rid of all the players. 
I'm not going anywhere. So he got rid of the backroom staff and he recycled it all the time. I think Solskjaer will be helped out because I think McKenna will get a manager role at some point. But that's the key. And as much as I like Nagelsmann, I just, I don't, if Solskjaer's successful, I, I don't see that ever happening. And if he's not successful, then I hope that he's just on our radar, which doesn't seem to be any wider than Mauricio Pochettino right now. Yeah. So we're, we're putting at what, 15% that we see the four triple two in the next couple of years at Old Trafford? <laughs> <laughs> Never know. I mean, that's the thing is what, what style of football becomes popular and how do you beat it and what, how do you have to adapt to it? Would that be Bruno and Pogba on the wings as they're the Sabitzer and, um, uh, Forsberg? The yeah, Savitzer and Forsberg rolls. And then and then you got Paulson and uh, Timo the Werner Burner up front. I mean, well, that, that's Rash and Tony, obviously. Yeah. I mean, I we got the, we're playing we got our best of... players. We're playing our best players out wide. I mean, it's working for Leipzig. They're in third place right now. I know this. I'm just getting flashbacks right now to Bob oh, Bradley yeah. being like, "I have to go with a four-four-two, and that means." Uh, I'm playing Donovan and Dempsey out wide, even though we don't have a second striker, and I'm gonna let Edson Buttle and Robbie Finley play. We don't we don't have to bring that back up. Not... Yeah, yeah, this seems like a good time for the ad break, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about Polly's Manchester United fandom and whatever else comes up. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> Leipzig's a controversial team, though. Yeah, they're another like corporate FC, aren't they? They they're hated by everybody inside Germany, but I think a lot of people outside Germany really like that team because they play like they're fun to watch. They're like right. a lot of fun they're, to watch. They're um they're corporate FC, which apparently is oh so like it's okay if you're if you're Leverkusen and Bayer owns you because I guess because the Bayer plant is there, so like the entire city is employed by them, and yep. it's okay for Wolfsburg. It's apparent, but it's not okay for is it Hoffenheim that's corporate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a pharmaceutical company. Actually, the Hoffenheim chairman is one of the leading uh, people trying to come up with a coronavirus cure right now. So it's, oh, that's pretty cool. It's not okay if you're Hoffenheim, but it's it's really not okay if you're Leipzig. Partially because it's not just corporate FC; it's it's corporate family FC. Like there's also Salzburg and New York and and yeah. Red Bull, but also because they're East German. Yep. So oh. that that's a big one. People do not like them for that reason. It does kind of give off vibes from like that scene in Fight Club where it's like playing at Starbucks or like everything is going to be corporate sponsored at some point or yeah. backed. Oh, hold on. Well, we'll have our test case in England if um, Salford ever make the uh, first division because it's like that's kind of what Class Leipzig of 92 did. FC. Yeah, they. I mean, Leipzig was. I don't think they were even affiliated, and then they got. They just so they, injected they cash. They didn't and exist <laughs> until like 20 years ago or something like that. Yeah, it was it was a really really quick rise. I mean, it was yeah. one of those things where they just they invested the money and all of a sudden you know. But Dortmund or not Dortmund, uh, Bayern Munich is. Um, I think. Do they have some? Bayern Munich is basically Germany's football company. I mean. Yeah, I mean they have some kind of like. Uh, oh, it's Audi. Audi owns like a huge portion of them. That's why it was. Such a big deal when like players show up in non-Audi cars for their for their training sessions because like 
I mean, it's yeah, they probably own 49 <laughs> percent. I, I, I the on the continent podcast, like uh, Andy Brassel from The Guardian is really, really big into German football. And he spent like 30 minutes just shitting all over German fans because he's like, you guys are all hypocrites that don't like Leipzig, basically. Because, I, I mean, mean, everybody's got money in football. It's not just Leipzig. It's just it's easy because it's like in the name. I would they much do. rather see Leipzig win the Bundesliga than Bayern Munich every year. Yeah. Like. Right. It's 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 at, at a certain point like they need to. I mean, it's better for Bayern to not win it because at a certain point they need yeah. to not win it so that they could be like it's an accomplishment to win it. If you win it every year, it's not an accomplishment. Right. Um, and you're not going to win the Champions League any every year, and it they're getting progressively worse it seems in the Champions League. I mean, it's hard. Like if you, I always say like, if you, I, I always say if you wrapped the league up in April, like Byron always did. And then you're literally able to just turn off for the, for your weekend games. You can't get back on for the champions league. And I was like, that's why Barcelona and Real Madrid went through this period of dominance. And I was like, because they pushed each other till the very last day. So even though like, you're playing Getafe and you can re- you can rotate your squad. You needed to win that game. So when your players were playing, like there was still like an element of we gotta win. So they were never switched off. So they were able to keep their play like play like the year that uh when we won it, like we were pushed to the final day by Chelsea. You know, you need yeah. that. And you see that sharpness too, I think, with when Real Madrid won it. Uh, against Juventus, and even when Barcelona beat Juventus, Juventus is another one of these teams that's just got the right. league wrapped up by April every year. And PSG, I mean, has not gotten yeah, past the quarterfinals. Like, they never league. take them seriously if they they never have to play at home. So I'm like, so yeah, as soon as they get, I mean, they they've wrapped their league up by February, and yeah. and then they lose in February because they're just they're going through the motions every weekend. They're not staying sharp. Well, in the last couple of years too, Bayern have been the kings of. We got rid of a player a year too late instead of a year too early. I mean, Robin was... They got rid of Robin like five years too late. Yeah, I mean, between Robin and Ribery and... Um, I mean, they've just had guys that have been there probably too long and they just haven't recycled things out fast enough. I mean, Schweinsteiger was... They, they got bailed out with uh, us getting Schweinsteiger out of them because, I mean, he was... I think he was on the move anyway. Yeah. No, the, he he came to us because Byron basically said we're done with you, like you're yeah. done here. Yeah, and, and they've been doing that with Mueller too, which is he he's so weird because he's actually not that old, and yeah, he's they, having a pretty good year this year. Yeah, he's a good year every year. The issue is nobody knows where he plays, and like it's hard to fit him into a well, team. That, that's why they have that. Um, they created a pish, position just for him. Let me see if I can remember what the space word is. Yeah, space interpreter, which is like. It, only in German could you have a word like that. Um, well, he created the word, or he created the position. Uh, this would be a good conversation to include in the podcast episode. <laughs> um, yeah, Rom, Rom Deuter. Yeah, Rom Deuter. <laughs> see, see, German, they find a way to take a bunch of words and cram them into one, and it's it's pretty great. I think... I might have been reading an article that was and uh, maybe I'm hallucinating because I keep staying up till 4 a.m. But I think they were considering uh, or somebody was suggesting that maybe like Fernandez is the next Rom Deuter to, 
to kind of do what Mueller did. I mean, the athletic had that whole piece about how Fernandez is most dangerous when he's not moving. And Bruno. Uh, yeah. I mean, people keep saying that, but like, if you want him to be dangerous, if you want him to be a space interpreter or something, get him into the box. Like the guy doesn't get in the box. Yeah. Everybody keeps being like, well, Howard Pogba and Bruno are going to play together. And it's like, it's, it's actually really simple. You put one of them in, in one position and the other one in the other, and there's going to be a lot of movement. But guess what? Like Pogba is going to get forward and Bruno's not because Bruno likes to come back and pass the ball around and Pogba likes to get in the box and finish. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, Bruno's doing great as a 10. And it's like, yeah, but he's kind of playing as like a half 10, half eight. Like he, he doesn't touch the ball in the box. I almost wonder if this is an effect of us just watching such shitty football for the last couple of years that people forgot, like, oh, if you just have all these great passers of the ball, maybe you don't have to have two holding midfielders provide you defensive coverage because you can just pass your way out of giving up the ball. Well, the, the Louis Bruno, van Gaal and Jose Bruno. Uh, go ahead, Polly. Bruno and, Bruno and Pogba are good enough defensively that, like, it's not like playing – a complete like attacking midfielder as a mid- like they are both capable of playing as the number eight. Pogba could play as the six if you wanted him to. Um, so it's not like crazy to put them both in the team, which people just keep being like, oh, how are they going to fit? Like, I don't know. City have a million fucking good players and they figure it out. They don't sit there and go, ah, crap, we got to. We got to get Phil Foden in there because he'll hold the midfield. They're just yeah. like, ah, Phil Foden, not good enough. You're not playing. I mean, they played Bernardo Silva on the wing, but, I mean, he's basically a 10 that plays on the right wing. And, I mean, they just shove people into that midfield, and it, it works for them. I mean, you get you can have De Bruyne, you can have Gundogan, you can have Fernandinho, Mares, and Silva all out on the field, and it just, like, it right. makes them so much more dangerous. because they, they had the game. They had that game against us, and they did it against Real Madrid, where they played with two false nines. Yeah, <laughs> they I mean, played with four midfielders across the front. Like you could figure it out. Wait, that's what Spain did at Euro 2012. They played six midfielders as their front, as their midfielder yeah, in front three. Like, looks like Fabregas was like more of like that. That was Fabregas was like the false nine. Right. This was City. Were like we have two false nines in front but sometimes they're going to go to the wing and the wingers are going to come and they're going to play the false nine like uh, i think it's kind of like we need someone that could kind of do what Messi does to open up the channels for the outside people so a midfielder is better than a striker there i think another thing too is that we've really not seen something since ferguson where it's just a system that encourages expressive attacking creativity yeah i mean that was the biggest difference that Ollie made when he came in as the interim manager is that he's told the players to play the way that they thought that they could express themselves best. And we got the best out of Pogba and Rashford for a few games. I think bringing in that well, like, the sort of so talent that complements like, that. When, right. when I, when I've been rewatching these games, I've basically been like, what the, like, did Ollie like get a master's degree in coaching between (laughs) last May and August. It's night and day. I was like, you can, it looked like he knew what he was doing when he came in and you even go back to games during their winning run. And you're like, what the fuck was this guy doing? Like, why did he do this? This clearly like wasn't working. You're just getting bailed out. Like Rashford played well. Martial was garbage. Yeah. Um, Well, some of those games too, it was like, one or two moments where we would get through and score a goal and then we wouldn't create anything the rest of the game. There was a game against Leicester city where there was a brilliant, like over the top 
pass from Pogba in for Rashford. And the uh, diamond! Yeah. The diamond <laughs> kept playing the fucking diamond, and we did nothing. <laughs> we got yeah. one shot. Like, we got one shot against Tottenham. It was the Rashford shot, and then in the second half, Pogba did something by himself, got forward, got a shot, it was blocked, and he went and got the rebound that he should have scored on. But, like, yeah. we didn't create a lot because... Rashford was playing out on the right where he's useless. Martial was on the left where he's not as good. And then you come into August and in August, Solskjaer was just like, yeah, Martial's going to be our center forward. And it's like, well, why didn't you try this at the end of last year when Lukaku stunk? By the way, I'm including this whole conversation in the recorded podcast. This is too good a football talk to just exclude. I know, right? So, right. so this is where I'll say that we're back from our break, and uh, <laughs> we're talking about football again. Um, well, and, and remember our conversation, too, from when we did the season review of, was it the 08-09 season? That whole just, it, w- it was a fluid style of play, and for, like, yeah, you guys, you had guys line up in specific positions, but they were constantly interchanging. Yeah, you and give I, them the freedom to complement each other. Yeah, I and yeah, that's as long as they're why, aware. Yeah, and that's why I think it. I I don't see any qualms if Pogba stays, and God, please just just stay, Pogba. You know, Madrid sucks. Uh, they're fascists, um, allegedly. Um, they're the team of Franco. Nobody forgets that. Anyway, um, they try to whitewash it though, like Spain. It's like it's like illegal to talk about Franco in Spain. Yeah. Well, they are Los Blancos, so. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, having that midfield of a Bruno and a Pogba, I don't think they ever get in each other's way. One because uh, Bruno has probably one of the higher motors on the team versus Jogba. So I mean, they're not going to be in the same space to begin with. And I think uh, we have finally unlocked something in Fred where he can provide that coverage and. You know, McTominay, when he does play, um, as average as Pauly says he is, I mean, he's still like, he still gives it for the badge. So when you need him in there, he gets in there. And uh, it's, I think if we can upgrade whoever plays with in that midfield, I don't think it's going to be a problem. And especially when, you know, Rashford's fully healthy again. Uh, maybe we start really letting Greenwood get some starting minutes as well. Uh, and then a Sancho or a Grealish or whomever we bring in, I I think it's going to be fine. Yeah, you yeah. bring up that point about the season of review, and it's one of the retro diaries I did, that game against Roma, where I was like, they had Skulls, Anderson, and, and Carrick in midfield, and it was like, Skulls is sitting next to Carrick, and then all of a sudden Anderson has the ball, and Skulls just gets forward. So, so Anderson kind of sees it and holds his position then, and then when we lose the ball, he falls in with Anderson. And that it stayed that way for a while until at one point Anderson ended up getting forward. So skulls dropped back. And that's the same thing. You know, Bruno may start the game as the number 10 and, you know, up until a week and a half ago, I would have told you it's probably for the best because he's probably better at defending, you know, up front than Pogba is, who's probably better at defending further back. And then Pogba will get a chance to, you know, Bruno likes to drop deep and get the ball. And when he does that, Pogba will, will run ahead and then Bruno will stay back. And then I watched these games from last year, and it's like I see what Pogba does when he's defending up at the front, and he can do that too. So maybe you just start Pogba as the number ten, and you let Bruno be the number eight, and you tell and you tell Pogba to get back to doing what he does so well, which is get in the box, get in and around the box, and all of a sudden that's when the goals came. You know, after Herrera's injury last year was when Herrera got hurt. 
we couldn't control the midfield at all. And that was why we had to drop Pogba back. And, you know, from when Solskjaer took over until the Liverpool match when everybody got hurt, he was he was getting four shots a game. After that, it went from from uh from the injuries until when Ali got the job permanently, it went down to one and a half in those games because he had to just sit deeper. So fans are like, well, why didn't he keep carrying the team? And it's like because we needed him to sit deep. We played Fred. We played Fred there. We played McTominay there. These guys just couldn't hold possession. The Everton debacle came because. Solskjaer just went, we're not getting any offense. I got to put Paul back up front. And he did. And Matic and Fred were just overrun the midfield. They couldn't even get the ball to Pogba. And at one point, like seven minutes into the game, you see him come drop deep when the defense had it. And he basically demands Lindelof give him the ball. And Lindelof gives him the ball and Pogba takes one touch, turns around and lost a 45-yard pass right into Marcus Rashford's foot. And United finally get a shot. And that's what they that's what they lack. But when Solskjaer's telling him, hey, stay forward and you can't get the ball to him. Yeah, uh, he's not going to have an impact on the game. And Herrera wasn't playing at that point because Herrera was going to leave. And Solskjaer now had a permanent job. So he said, I got to figure out. Who is going to be here next year and who can do this job? And it's it's not a coincidence that Herrera didn't come back into the team until we played Chelsea, um, which was a game where if we won that game, we're back in the Champions League. Yeah. All right. I'm so hyped for the whenever we restart play, man. <sighs> yeah, it, especially now that I think Rashford's kind of said that he's back to a normal training regimen. And Paul Pogba has been back at that for a while now, even before uh, the lockdown started. And I don't know, it just feels almost unfair that <laughs> Solskjaer doesn't get to finish out this season and get that chance to. I mean, he gets a shot at a couple pieces of silverware as well as qualifying for the Champions League if everything had stayed that way. But yeah, I, I mean, it's hard not to see us winning the the Europa League. And people, oh, but Inter Milan, yeah, okay, well, what's our record against good teams this year? Uh, we've scored 11 goals in the three Europa League knockout games that we have. I don't, and nobody has come close to that total. To um, be honest, since that 2018 FA Cup final, I've wanted revenge against Antonio Conte. I've wanted a team that will yeah, attack like, Antonio I'd Conte. Like to Inter. <laughs> I'd like to beat Inter too, but like, if we if we drew against Inter, I would still think that we're favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I would, well, and his team is not nearly as good as that Chelsea team that, you know, in the same season we lost four nil, but then one two nil, right? Then we went two nil against them in the spring. Um, one, two, two, one. two one. It was a comeback at old Trafford. Yeah. Yeah. And, and plus yeah, like come back from one nil down. Yeah. He got some of the old band back together. Like, Oh man, watch out for Victor Moses in 2020. And, uh, of course, we have to go up against like Ashley Young and Lukaku too. So I, I don't know how we're going to handle that kind of pace. Um, Lukaku against Lindelof in the air may be a bit worrying, but, yeah, uh, but just put McGuire on him. Right. Yeah. Teams have tried to do that, and it, like Watford put Troy Deeney right on Lindelof the entire game, and they they couldn't get the ball to him. You right. know, like one of the things in this this video I was telling you that I was working on, like that I've seen is is Mourinho didn't press in the final third at all based basically at all 
And it was once we got in the final third, it was like, let's drop everybody back and get in there so that we can defend versus Ollie puts a lot of pressure on teams in the final third in our own defensive third, because it's, it's, yeah, if Lindelof is weak in the air, you know, you could, you know, how you can fight that is don't let a ball come to him and snuff it out before, before it gets there. And, you know, that Watford literally had Deeney sticking on, on Lindelof the entire time. Tottenham put Harry Kane right on Lindelof and it, it, no effect. Mm-hmm. You know, occasionally he's going to get caught out. He's not as bad as everybody says. You know, he had two errors in the first three games of the year. So everybody's going to remember that and form their opinion on him based on that. He's not good, but he's not as bad as everybody says. And you can, you can figure out ways to hide him there. Uh, and plus, you know, since Ashley Young and Christian Erickson have gotten to enter, they've completely collapsed. Yeah. Well, um, we are approaching the hour mark for recording, but uh, it is Polly's turn to talk about his Manchester United fandom. Um, do you want to do sort of questions like we did last time, or you want to just uh, yeah, start let's, monologuing? Let's break it up so that people don't have to just listen to my insufferable voice. <laughs> All right, Polly, what is your first Manchester United memory? Probably them selling David Beckham. First, The first memory was probably United selling David Beckham. I'll, I'll bring it back a little before that was I went to – I guess I got in – I started getting more into soccer um, after the 2002 World Cup, like a lot of people in this country – Mm-hmm. And I mean, I had played it and I was a fan, but I didn't like watching it because I thought it was boring, like everybody else. And then I watched the 2002 World Cup and I was like, hey, there's some excitement here. And I went I went to summer camp where we had a lot of English staff, like a lot of counselors came from England. So once I got older, so I and I remember as a kid one year, it was like, you know, the season always started maybe the second or final weekend of of camp so one year it's saturday morning and we're in the dining room for breakfast and these guys are obviously running to like the staff lounge for the internet because season's starting and they're all going nuts and i had no idea why so i asked the counselor and he basically told me oh like it's the start of our of our football season and i was like well who's everybody rooting for and he just went liverpool and i was like okay so that was the one team i knew and i i think eventually like when i rented fifa whatever fifa video game was out that year I think my team, like I used Liverpool because they were the team that I had heard of. Um, but then this is, that was when I was like 10. So now we're like 13. It was when I, after the 2002 World Cup, I started not so much watching, but just paying attention to the local team, which was the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars at the time. And they had this, they had this goalie named Tim Howard, um, who literally lived like a stone's throw away. He lived literally like right down the street from me. And after a year, I read the news like Manchester United signed this goalie, Tim Howard. And I'm like, that's literally the bloke down the street. And so I decided I was going to follow, like just pay attention and follow him. I still didn't have the channel, so I couldn't watch games, but I was reading on the internet, like the game reports every single week to pay attention and follow Tim Howard. And then once, uh, I moved and I got Fox Soccer Channel. I still didn't know when the games were on, so I was still just paying attention, like reading the reports. But whenever they were showing, like a game, like Tuesday nights, they'd reshow a game or something. 
And if they were re-showing a United game, even though I knew the score, I would watch it and discover like 17-year-old step over Ronaldo who couldn't score, but you could not contain him. And I was like, this guy's the most exciting player I've ever seen in my life. And then Rooney came and the rest was history. Wow. Sounds like good times. Yes. I think the first the first thing I remember, though, is they signed Howard and they sold Beckham. And that was when I bought FIFA. And I was like – and I bought FIFA like the wrong – I bought like FIFA like a year the, – the old version. So, like, they still had Beckham. And United just became my team then. What was the moment then that it was like obsession? Like, this is like a part of my life. Probably when I realized that the Champions League was going on and it was like I'd be in school and I'd be like in math class and I'd be like, there's a game going on right now. And I'd literally leave to go to the bathroom, go to the computer lab and check the school. <laughs> I'm like, why? Why do I need to know this now? Uh, I don't. I could easily wait for this game to be over. Um, and and then I guess was at the end. Like we already discussed that the the first game that I remember watching or DVRing was that game against AC Milan, mm. and the following year, again I was speaking to people in camp and they like gave me a bunch of websites where they're like, yeah, like you could find streams of these games, and I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, so even when they're not on TV, I can watch, and that was you know at that point it was like no, like every Saturday I am watching this game in the morning, like no matter what. Um, I know for Colin and I, maybe one of the, one of our favorite moments has been the, uh, Wayne Rooney bicycle kick. Uh, I know we probably spent what, 40 minutes talking about it on the, on the Rooney rewind. And I know I definitely chalked it up as like my favorite United goal I've ever watched. What is the, your favorite United goal that you've ever seen live or on a replay or wherever? Awkwardly, it was like it was kind of live, but it was it was on delay. But it it was easily uh, Makeda's goal against Aston Villa. (laughs) I was home from school that weekend because my mom needed me to do stuff around the house and help out. And I was watching the game. My dad called me. He was like, let's go out for lunch. And I it was an 11 o'clock game. So we probably called it like you might have called it like 1130. And I was like. I can't say no, but I also can't be like, uh, sorry, Dad, I'm watching a soccer game until one o'clock. So I just like quickly hit record and was out the door and and got back to watch the rest of the game. My mom was like out go outside in the back gardening or something. And when Makeda scored that goal, I was screaming. She came inside. She thought something was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Had a lot of those moments where my dad and I start screaming at like eight in the morning and everyone wakes up is like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. So for me, it was weird because like, I didn't really have that opportunity to do that because I was always watching in the morning, like in my bedroom and I couldn't wake people up. And then in college it was in my dorm and I had a roommate there and I, I couldn't uh, wake them up. And you know, in an apartment, if I started screaming, I'd wake people up. So this was like one of the few times where I, Hey, it's fine. I can go nuts on this goal, and I I did. What would you say is then your favorite game watching experience? Like, what game do you just like vividly remember everything about? 
do I vividly remember everything about? Yeah, that's... that, like, not only was the game fantastic, but, like, the environment, everything around you was just, like, a perfect setting for it. That's hard, because I remember so many games now that I watched them, like, three times <laughs> over the last season. Um, probably my most recent one was probably the away Derby this year. Um, I got, I had to pop into a bar for work, um, in the morning. So I went there and I just, I, I was like, I'm just going to, once I'm in that area, I may as well just go to the bar straight from there. So I'll probably get there early. And I got there like an hour early and I was like the last one. You know, everybody was already there and the, the atmosphere in the bar this year has been, who knows, you know, like we've had some good moments, we've had some bad moments, but the thing hasn't exactly been all throughout the, and like they were, they were going right from the start, like for an hour before the game, we were singing, it was nuts. I was like, and I had to go look for a wedding venue right after. So I was already nervous and I was like, this could be bad. Uh, I have to try not to get too drunk because I got to go literally straight from this game, run to the subway and get to the wedding venue. So I, I get in, I'm saying hello to people and I'm, I am purposely not going to the bar or, or to the bartender because I know I cannot start yet. And I'm talking to somebody and someone taps me on the shoulder and it's the bartender holding a drink for me and he just gives it to me. And I was like, oh, Jesus, like this is bad. <laughs> I like I texted my fiance and I'm like, Kevin already brought me a drink and I haven't even said hi to him yet. And I was like, so this this could be bad. And then the whole game was just incredible. We won. We won. People were going nuts. I had to run out of there. I was so mad that I had to leave. Um, and then probably the most recent Darby also not as good pregame, but postgame like. Also, just incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I find myself in the same position as you, where the games I remember the most are the ones where I wasn't in my house. You know, like I actually made the effort to go out and experience it with other people. Like um, in 2018, right? Yeah, 2018 when we played uh, Manchester City and we came back and won that game. Like, I remember being at a bar with a friend, and we, we go down, and weirdly enough, there was, like, two or three City fans there, and they were kind of giving us that look. We're like, screw you, man. Like, we're just not that good this year, um, even though we ended up finishing second. But it was by, like, such a huge margin. But when Smalling scored that goal, I think uh, my friend Jalen and I both, like, jumped out of the booth and were just, like, flexing. Uh, it, it just, like, screaming, and it was a casual casual day at the bar like it was not packed and it was not full of soccer fans and everyone's just like what is going on right now why are these people so excited about this one game that's on the one tv out of like the 20 that's in this bar but it's so much fun yeah i the the first time i ever went to the bar was for the game against uh for the derby the louis van gaal derby where we won like four two yeah uh 15 yes that one was great the Europa League final was was tremendous. Um, the Arsenal game where De Gea stood on it. The Arsenal game where De Gea stood on his head. I was out at like a friend's place the night before, and somehow I got like obliterated. And I woke up so hungover that day that I was like, I'm not going to the bar. I can't do it. I can't get there. I I like went out. I got a bagel and a Gatorade, which is like I don't. 
I don't eat bagels anymore unless I'm really hungover. So that's how bad I was. And I was like, I just need this to make me feel human. That didn't work. And I was like, I have to go to the bar though. Cause this guy on my hockey team said he was going to be there. And I told him I would go and meet him and I don't have his number. So I can't like call him and be like, I can't make it. So I have to go. And I just walked in and I, I went right up to the bartender. And I was like, I need like a whiskey with diet Coke. I need a, a huge glass of water and I need a shot of whiskey. And I was like, this is the, like the entrance into my brain right now. And I pounded the water, took the shot. And I was like, I think I'm good now. <laughs> and then it just ended up being this ridiculous game. And on the way I texted my friend who's an Arsenal fan. And I was like, I have a terrible feeling about this game, but all I could say is if we are going to win this game, it's going to be because of Jesse G sung park Lingard and he scored two goals and boom within like 14 minutes. So I'm like frantically on my phone, like just texting him, told you so. <laughs> the, the important thing about that anecdote people is that bagels save lives. Don't forget. <laughs> and yeah. And also if you're hungover, just go and rip a shot. Yeah. That's a hangover cure that I don't think works for me anymore. <laughs> Hair of the dogs picking it up again. <laughs> yeah. I, I last year when we played Chelsea at Stamford bridge, it was a 7.30 kick, and I woke up so hungover, and my fiance had to go somewhere, so she was getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to leave, and I just like kind of collapsed back into my bed, and I was like, I can't do it. And I turn on the game, and it's the rare Sunday, or the rare sunny day in England, like in the middle of November, so it's so bright coming from my screen, and I just went, I can't do this, and I like threw my head into my pillow and was just listening to the game. Cause I was like, it hurts too much uh, to look, which by the way, I think that's one of the reasons that English soccer has taken off more than German soccer in particular, but other European soccer. And it's like rarely sunny at those games in the winter time. So like in the morning when you're hungover, you don't have to worry about like the screen being too bright. <laughs> Because there have been times where, like, I'm watching an England get, like, I'm watching a Premier League game, and I'm like, this works. And then I flip over to, like, Fox to watch the Bundesliga game, and they, it's a sunny day. And I'm like, nope, not today. It's probably number one reason. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not because Syria is locked on ESPN Plus and that Spain plays in the middle of football in America. Well, Syria used to be on Gold East, which was not on, <laughs> it used to be on Fox Soccer Channel. Like every so often, that twelve thirty game would be an Italian game instead of a Premier League game. Mm. Serie A's problem is that they're just boring. That's very true. Except in the Champions League, like I remember those AC Milan teams like drawing a lot of people over here, but it was mostly Kaka, I think. Yeah, they were good, but like Serie A itself is just like bad. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, I tried to watch like a Juventus versus whoever was like number two. It was like a big game and there was no good games going on in England. And I like after 15 minutes, I was like, I, I can't do this. I was like, you just bore the hell out of me. Yeah. In comparison to our talk about like how excited we are to watch some offense in the Bundesliga, it's, <laughs> you definitely don't go to the Serie A for that. <laughs> it's funny, like Juventus paid all that money to get Ronaldo and they still win games like 2-1. Like it's just... I'm almost surprised Mourinho has not gone back to Italy. He's like, they don't like him. 
they, well, they like it, it was incredibly polarizing there. I mean, the reason he did the that number when we won at Juventus was because everyone still hated him from his Inter Milan years. But if if he had gone back to Inter Milan, I mean, I could see this being the kind of team that would be built around him or his style. Just really likes London, man. I mean, they pra- yes, they so. pretty much are built around him and his style. Like they yeah. signed all the players that he likes, and and what they wanted Matic too. Yeah. Mourinho goes back to Inter Milan, and then they sign Willian. It's, it's just so funny how he just wants Willian wherever he goes. Take Matic with you. It's really Matic. funny how Chelsea got Willian in the first place because Tottenham were going like they had a deal agreed yeah and now he's like gonna go to Chelsea was Willian also kidnapped yeah literally he like Chelsea showed up at the airport and were basically like we're Tottenham and they picked him up in the airport and they're like actually we're Chelsea (laughs) damn hate to see it and we can pay you more money all right um Nathan you got any more questions for Polly um see here see i've only known really truly sadness as a manchester united fan whereas you two have been privileged enough to watch some good games so what's been what's been your lowest point as a united fan oh that's a that's a really good question um actually i know the well my absolute lowest point last year you know, they say the night is darkest just before the dawn. And that was exactly what happened. My absolute lowest point was the day after the Liverpool match last year. And we lost 3-1. And everybody was like, "That, that's it. That has to be it. Like, Mourinho has to be out. And, you know, we had some false dawns earlier that season. There was the report about the Newcastle game. Like, whatever happens, he's done. And basically, because it leaked, United were spiteful. And they're like, we'll show you we're not firing him. And the fact that we came back and, and won, which was the most conflicted I've ever been during a comeback. Um, but that 3-1 game, and I was like, it can't go on. And I woke up the next morning, and that, like, you know, I wake up at 7, probably, and so that's 12, that's noon out over in England. And by then, if you're going to fire a manager, it should have happened. And there's just no news. And there's no news all day. And I'm just like, as the day went on, I I just got more and more zapped of energy because I I hated my job at that point. And I'm like, United are what's supposed to like bring me life and bring me or what I look forward to on the weekends. And I just, I can't do it anymore. And and they're just getting worse and worse. And this is awful. Didn't it happen on Tuesday? yeah, Yeah. So I went to bed that night and the, I literally said to myself, the, I'm like, don't do this because you're just going to get your hopes up. But like the all like maybe just maybe we know that the entire team had an off day today. So like nobody was in Carrington. So like maybe just maybe because Mourinho didn't go into Carrington when he goes in tomorrow, that'll be it. And I was like, don't do that to yourself. And back then, I I don't think it's happened to me since, but like back then, like every night randomly, I would get like a notification from Twitter at some, you know, so-and-so tweeted this, like just completely random. And at like 5.30 in the morning, my phone lights up and it says Manchester United just tweeted. And like, it didn't even vibrate. It didn't beep. It just lit up and it woke me up. And 
I open up my phone and see that, like, see the news, and I immediately texted my girlfriend about it because I knew she'd be awake, and I was, like, fired off a million texts to everybody to be like, when they wake up, like, they're going to see this, and they're going to know that I am over the moon right now, (laughs) and I literally was like, all right, well, it's 5.45, like, back to bed, could not fall back asleep, like, I was just up, I was, my roommate wakes up, like, my, my roommate leaves for work at like 7.05 in the morning, and I was dressed in, in my full kit and everything, waiting outside of his door for him to leave for work with a bottle of champagne. And I was like, he's he's just looking at me, and I'm like, I need you to come up to the roof with me right now and take a picture. And I have this great picture of me just drinking as the sun, like popping champagne as the sun is rising, like over Manhattan from that day. <laughs> I don't know what was more jarring was like finally seeing that the boogeyman was dead uh, and getting that text notification on your phone that Mourinho was fired or the next day. I, for whatever reason, I stayed up super late um, the night of the 18th. Maybe, uh, maybe I was just celebrating, but then I wake up and I've got seven missed text messages, uh, several missed Slack notifications. And I see like nine different notifications about, um, Solshire being appointed interim boss and I was like half asleep as this is happening and I'm still like a little woozy and I'm trying to figure I'm like what's that last name again because I like I could barely see out of my eyes because I'm just waking up and I was thought I was reading gibberish and then I was like oh Ollie hell yeah I I, I remember that news fake breaking where <laughs> like it was released on the web on Manchester United's website and then quickly deleted afterward yeah I remember being like why like Solskjaer like what and then it was like all right he's gonna be the interim guy and I was like okay I guess this makes sense like you know he's I I mean me and my friends were basically convinced that United just needed a guy who you know could come with the bag of balls over his shoulder put them on the field and be like go play so I was like I guess like Solskjaer he knows the club and like it'll be temporary and and, because we're not going to be able to get Pochettino in in January so this way we can wait until the 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 summer to get Poch. But I was very confused, and I was like, "Why did we like Why did we bring in Solshar?" See, that's was, why Brett makes was, the PE teacher jokes, just because you said that <laughs> someone could show up with just a shoulder. bag of balls, yeah, over the shoulder, just <laughs> drop him I mean, and go play. <laughs> I I was excited because it wasn't Laurent Blanc. And for some reason, I was really worried that it would be Laurent Blanc. And it, like, not only is he problematic, but he's just not that good of a manager. But Is it, is it because you read my piece about the betting favorites? No, or, no you know what it was? It was, I knew that, I knew that Pochettino was like on the horizon, but Zidane was still unemployed. And I yeah. was like, why aren't we just going and bringing Zidane in right now? I was low-key convinced that Zidane was coming in. Yeah. That, when that was, that, fired him. I really thought Zidane was coming in. So then on like Wednesday when they're like, oh, we're bringing in Solskjaer. I was like, why? What? What is this? <laughs> yeah, because they had all those SEO articles too where it was like, Zidane's learning English right now. We wonder why he's doing that. And this is when Mourinho was still in the position. And uh, I mean, yeah, it shit, was, that was for like two months. It was like Zidane's like learning English and he's, he's yeah. telling his friends he's very interested in Manchester and, and this and that. And like. So when we hired Solskjaer, I was like, what the hell did we do that for? That was my first article I wrote for the Busby Bay was um, analyzing Zidane as a potential next manager. 
And I I was convinced it was going to happen. And then Solskjaer comes in. I was like, oh, okay. Because he wasn't on my radar at all. And I'd been. He's on no one's radar. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't spent... say I was, I was only out when we first hired him, but I was definitely only why. <laughs> yeah, Polly, was... I'm going to take these sound clips and just use them out of context constantly when every out time context, you tweet, Polly Quest, I, already, I already gave you I already gave you gem what uh, about 45 minutes ago and I said when I'm rewatching these games from last year and I'm like Ollie looked clueless <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's because I spent three months writing about all the different managers and Ollie was not even on my list of uh you know people that had a chance according to you know betting sites to become yeah. a manager and then like within I, a month, I'm writing we need to hire Solskjaer over Pochettino. How did this happen? We, you became yeah. our resident expert on who are we going to hire next. <laughs> yeah, that was my that was my beat. I, I was uh, <laughs> be on the radar. He had basically like been like, well, I tried and failed uh, in in England, and he like retired to go home to Scandinavia. But he he's already you know he said when they were interviewing him last year during one of his million interviews because he got off to such a hot start. And he said, I took the Cardiff job only because I said, and this is back when Sir Alex, uh, was Ferguson still there? Or uh, was that, was, right? that was the first David Moyes season. That was the, oh, yeah, okay. that was the Moyes season. So he's like, I took the Cardiff job simply because it was, maybe if I do well here, I'll be able to manage Manchester United. And then he got fired. And it, like, if you got fired from that job, yeah, I would be like, why would Manchester United ever come calling? So he packed up and, and went home. You would never even think about it. Like, the last thing he had tweeted was Rashford's jersey draped over his TV like um, because after he scored a brace against Liverpool a year beforehand. And he's like, I, yeah, I've been following the team because I, I'm still a fan. And it, the good thing was like he, he basically came in and, and did what any fan would have done. He was like, right, Fellaini, you're out. Like, uh, Valencia, <laughs> bye. Um, you're leaving, you're leaving, you're leaving. Like, hey, like, let's, let's let Paul Pogba show us what he can do. Uh, let's play Rashford centrally because we all wanted him to do that, even though a year later now we know he's better off the left wing. Um, but still scored 10 goals. He, <laughs> Solskjaer played FIFA career mode like Colin does, but without the unlimited budget. <laughs> <laughs> I earned that unlimited budget by winning the league every year. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, I'll tell you what, though. You know what? You know what's aged like sour milk is the. Um, I I definitely wrote at least twelve hundred words on Lucien Favre becoming the next manager, um, <laughs> who only still has his job at Dortmund because they have Erling Holland now, because he was about to get his ass fired over the winter because they were playing really really poorly. Yeah, I uh, disagree. He might still get fired, honestly. I mean, he's put them in a position twice where they could be league challengers, and it looks like twice they're going to screw it up. So, well, that's that's the the two sides of the sword for Lucien Favre is he he's a manager that like greatly over over he consistently outperforms his metrics, which in turn also means that like what he's doing is unsustainable. Uh, the fact that he does it consistently is there's something to it, but it also is like, you know, you expect the house of cards to collapse when you need it to not. Yeah. Well, um, I said that we would try and keep this under an hour. 
We are now at uh, an hour and 23 minutes. So quick sign off. Revier Derby, May 16th. Scoreline predictions. Wait, is that actually yeah. happening? Is that confirmed? Yeah, it's uh, Dortmund and Schalke, I think, is the first game on Saturday. Okay. The last article I read was basically like the Bundesliga is basically they're coming back and it's easy. They're like, we're just going to play the schedule from there. But they are opposed to it because the Riviera Derby is is the first game. And they're like, we don't want fans congregating. Um, right. But if I, I haven't seen the schedule yet, but just give me uh, give me Dortmund. Is it in Dortmund or is it in Schalke? Let me check also i must say i greatly appreciate the bundesliga waiting till after mother's day to come back <laughs> that would not have gone over well this week if i was like soccer's back i'm watching it and not doing mother's day things <laughs> it is at signale duna park oh give me give me three one to give me three one to the black and yellows um yeah it's i the yellow wall is going to be celebrating at least a hat trick, I think, from Erling Holland. Because uh, there will be no one in the yellow wall. There will be nobody there. <laughs> in their homes, man. Um, the, uh, I mean, you figure the last game we saw of Erling Holland, he was getting punked by PSG, recreating a celebration, and uh, clearly that man harbors a grudge as he didn't sign with Manchester United because Roy Keane ended his dad's career. So um, I, I think he's going to score a bunch of goals against Schalke. He's, he's raring to go. Um, yeah. I'll okay. say 4-1. I was going to say 4-2. I think uh, Marco Royce gets one, Jaden Sancho gets one, and then uh, Haaland comes on and scores two. Is Royce fit? I think Royce was hurt. Like when we That left. is a good question oh. all the time, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> it's a 50-50 chance. Is Marco Royce injured? Um, a good Twitter account, actually. Is Marco Royce injured? Just tweet every day, yes or no. <laughs> <laughs> is it Christmas yet? No. Marco Royce hurt. Yeah, I, I actually have no idea. I think I'm just assuming that everyone's healthy because they've had six weeks off. Well, hey, and um, uh, the, the next American hero, Gio Reyna, just signed a new contract. Maybe he uh, celebrates with a goal or an assist. Yeah. He'll come off the bench. He's been doing that, but he hasn't started the game yet. Nope. I like him, though. I think he, he's in a good position right now to you know be the next Pulisic doing what he's doing at Dortmund. I would love for him to do that. I just wish we had a coach that knew how to like use – the talent he was given and not be like, hey, our best midfielder, let's move you to right back, a position that we actually have some sort of depth at, and bring Michael Bradley back into the fold. And hey, Josie Altador, what are you up to? Also, let's continue to play GS's artist at the top. Right, because he's familiar with the system. Oh, my Lord. Remember when he scored a goal on accident over the summer? Because that happened. Yes. <laughs> And yeah, that's when that game Nathan and I and uh, one of my friends, Cameron, joined the Josie Altador is not good truther club <laughs> or started the Josie Altador. Oh, is not good God, I've been saying that for years and like people have been oh, getting yeah. annoyed with me. I don't understand uh, what people seeing him. Like, yeah. I, I think he scores a ton of goals and I'm like, yeah, against Antigua and Barbuda and like against yeah. uh, Jamaica at home, but he can't score in Jamaica. Well, like, win 1-0 against Cuba, and it's a Jesse Altador 80th-minute goal or something. It's because like, he's built like Lukaku, but then has the hamstrings of, like, a 120-year-old. He is thick Giassi Zardes. <laughs> <laughs> and Giassi Zardes is skinny Jesse Altador. 2017 was the first time he played in a tournament since um, since 2011. Yeah, he the was Gold hurt. Cup. 
Because left off the 2013 team, he, I mean, he got hurt 17 minutes into the World Cup. He was hurt the following Gold Cup. He was hurt the Copa America. You can't rely on him in the summer. Like, let somebody else freaking play. Like, he is terrible. He can't score outside the United States. He's terrible. Start the ginger. Yeah, I, I mean, start. seriously. Do that. Like, we have the best generation of talent. Like, you know, like, back then it was we had Donovan and Dempsey and a bunch of good, solid role players. Now we actually have really good players, and our coach is a freaking moron. I don't understand why the Stars and Stripes SB Nation blog doesn't have us on for their podcast. I think we should channel this into next week. We'll do an entire everything wrong with the U.S. men's national team discussion. I, I think it comes up once once a podcast now. We just regularly shit on the USMNT. I, 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 it must have been before Donovan's final game. I was getting ready to get on the bus with like the American Outlaws to make the way too long drive to Connecticut. And I was, somebody said something about outdoor and I'm like, no, like outdoor's terrible. And like a bunch of people got like really, affected. but like also like you get portions of like the American outlaws that are so high and mighty that it's like, how dare you say something bad against like, you're talking about the U S men's national team. We support them through everything. And it's like, I support them. I am rooting for them to win. I'm allowed to say that Josie outdoor is terrible and he shouldn't be playing. <laughs> like is and at the time, it's like, is Josie Altidore the best striker that we have? Probably. So, like, am I allowed to say that he's bad? Yeah. Uh, we need to develop a better striker. Uh, all right. I actually am going to end the podcast now. <laughs> Kyle so, Beckerman with dreads would still start for this team. It's amazing how we can't find a center midfielder. But, like, also – the not even like giving guys like Caleb Stanko and, and all the guys that are playing in Europe, like not even giving them a look is just so MLS and U S soccer trying to, you know, like after 2014 U S soccer stopped being a federation, a a soccer federation and just started being a marketing company in it solely for money. Well, Hey man, Bradley scored in Mexico city. So that bought him at least five more years. It got, I mean, it got to the point where we were wearing our, our home jerseys for every away game and our, our away jerseys for every home game. And I was just like, all we're trying to do here is sell this red shirt. <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Yep. Like let's, it's a world cup qualifier. Let's just treat it like an, it's an important soccer game and that we got to win it rather than doing everything else that we're doing. We love our Nike contract as a uh, U.S. soccer. I'll tell you what. And hey, Colin, you think you're going to end the podcast now? Yeah. Yeah, so I've been Colin, and uh, this is the Busby Bay podcast. I've been Nathan Heintrell. Follow me at Nathan is Red. Um, Eventually, I'm going to write or finish this article about how I got drunk and made Dan James's banana bread recipe as opposed to watching Top Chef because I've taken something that I enjoy and I've turned it into work, and now I I loathe it. So. (laughs) I'm Paul. All right, we're going to sign off now, but still rant about the U.S. men's national team for another 20 minutes off air. And make Avengers references. All right, see you guys.